Hello, welcome to Lit KC. I'm your host, Jason Prue. Today, my guest is Carmen Moreno. Carmen is a visual artist, a performance artist, a poet, a zine maker, a story collector, and an amateur mycologist. Her interests are far and wide, and she's got a natural curiosity about her that's pretty refreshing. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. We'll get to it in just a minute. But first, I want to talk about vacations. Vacations are necessary. You must take them. You must take breaks. Production and productivity is not always your friend. Getting things done is not always what needs to be done. Sometimes you need to not get things done. Sometimes you just need a break. Here is Carmen Moreno. My dad was in the military and we moved all over. And this was really home. I tried to get away off and on, off and on. Yeah. Kept coming back. <laughs> That's how a lot of people that I know keep coming back. Um, I guess it has that kind of magnetic quality. That's for you, by the way, if you like. Awesome. Saw you brought a drink. Yeah, yeah I ended good. up going to get something because it was really, really hot. Yeah. How long have you been in Kansas City? Are you born so, and bred? No, not at all. Um, I'm from South Dakota, uh, Sioux City. Yeah. It's in South Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska. I've lived in all three states, about five hours from here. And I came here in 2005 to go to the Art Institute. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. So you, 2005, I'm trying to think of some of the people I know that were around that time. You know Hannah Carr? Uh, I do not, but her name is very familiar. She's a, she's a fabric, fabric person. I was at Charlotte Street with her. She's probably around that time. Cool. But, so, what do you think of this city? Uh, Are you getting ready to leave? Are you going to tell me you're moving? <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I guess the best that I can explain it is there seems to be a really tight-knit community, like art community that fosters and supports people, and there's a, a lower cost of living, yeah. which makes it incredibly comfortable. Um, so it can be a, a hub or a space that is a security or a security blanket for artists or creative types to have freedom to like express themselves and experiment and do different things. Uh, I also think that that's like part of being landlocked, like very much so. Yeah, the, it creates that insular environment because of the the spread of land yeah. or the idea of the plains being. Have spread. you found the city to be very supportive of your art? Uh, like not only in terms of maybe turning out for shows or readings, but in terms of just city support, like municipal, like grants, things like that. Uh, yeah. Um, so yes and no, it's kind of hot and cold. It yeah. depends, I think, on the community or the person that's kind of overseeing the grants or the projects. Uh, in some ways, I'm like super, um, I don't know, discontent with the community and uh, the ability to have a cultural worldview or yeah. to practice diversity and funding. Um, there's, it's Midwest, so there's a lot of Midwestern sensibilities and that's super influential as far as um, the art community here. But then at the same time, I have met people um, 
in other kind of arenas and spaces that have given me opportunities, no questions asked. So yeah, and that's <laughs> pretty rare. In that's like the hot cold. It's yeah. like I could work ten years and never get recognition in one kind of arena or by institution or grant funding, but then I might um, I might apply to something else and immediately yeah. get. So your the work you do kind of ranges like all over. You know, it's you you make zines, you do other types of writing. You're a visual artist. It looks like you've done performance art as well. Yeah. What do you? Are you just like, hey, I'm just a creative person. I just like to do shit. Like, I don't really pigeonhole. Or do you kind yeah. of say this is what I do and all this other stuff maybe ancillary? Uh, I don't pigeonhole at all. It's kind of a silly phrase, but I think the closest thing to like express my sensibility or my creative sensibility is like I'm a Renaissance woman. Yeah. But instead of growing up, I grow out, and I have multiple languages to kind of convey these intuitive um, inclinations. The that I have. Right, yeah. right. So. Yeah, that's really cool. I was, yeah. Uh, yeah, really taken aback by the breadth of work that you put out there. Yeah. You Did know. you get to see it? Did yeah, you look I've at seen, my website? Looked oh. at your website. Cool. I just I try to do for people that I don't know personally already. Yeah. I try to do some deep dives, get my homework done. Cool. So it's been neat to see like, oh this you know, that's one of the things I like about this particular podcast is uh it exposes me. Like I heard your name. Mm -hmm. Um my wife said, Hey, you should talk to this girl. She is looking to start like a female focused writing performance venue, like just focused on female writers and what they're doing. And I said, that's great. Do you know Jeanette Powers? Have you heard her name at all? No. So uh -huh. she was trying to get something started, the same thing at the Uptown. And it's like, see, this is like what we need. You're talking about the diversity, like the Midwestern sensibilities of trying. A lot of times we're reticent to, as a Midwesterner, to, to bring in all these different voices. and. We need someone to come in and say, this is how we've got to do it. Yeah. So when I heard that you were trying to spearhead this or how would you even kick it off, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about what you were thinking about that. Yeah, for sure. So um, all this kind of sparked from wanting to do a research project um, that I'm going to be having like a fundraiser for in September. And uh, it was my reaction to what was happening at the border. So my father was an immigrant from Mexico and he lived in the United States illegally. He was deported like four times throughout my childhood. And on his last deportation, I didn't see him for 12 years. Jesus so Christ. I had this huge like um, reconciliation in myself as like what was happening on the outside of our kind of outer world politically to like a very deep internal space. And I was thinking about how policy really affects people and what that means for me as like a Mexican-American woman. And I wanted to kind of go in and look at different kind of cultural sensibilities to understand my identity and how that might be renewed um, as a kind of first generation. Yeah. And I wanted to hear or try to reach out to other Latin American women to hear about their experiences and possibly cultivate a Latina. Yeah, <laughs> my, you can't style. see my. I'm just grinning because this is the. I mean, you're grinning too. This is yeah. really cool stuff. People, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's exciting to hear this kind of. It's not stale, it's very <laughs> practical and potent 
and now, and it ha needs to happen. So for sure, and it's like <laughs> it's really unearthing me. Yeah. Like it's it's something that I don't even think I would have thought about a year ago. It's like a seed just like bolting out of my creative identity, and uh, so I had. Um, kind of an outline of a project that I wanted to do as installation and performance about Latina futurism. And uh, the premise was um, the river under the river. So kind of the internal dialogue that women have with themselves or the sky space or the divine that are our internal thoughts that we think but we don't say out loud. So it's this life of the woman and the mother um, kind of uh, unspoken in in the subconscious and I wanted to bring forth that type of poetry uh, because that's the way that I personally work as a writer and I want to reach out to other women and see if they have similar process or they, they might be interested in exploring this For realm sure. as Mexican-American women. That is fantastic. So yeah. you are having a fundraiser now, coming in September. Mm -hmm. um, are you are you waiting on that before you put the show together? Yes. Is it kind of contingent on you having funds to make it happen? Yeah, I think so. So the first phase is to do a bit of research. Um, so the first fundraiser is to go to Mexico. I want to look at um, kind of indigenous narratives that are embedded into ca Catholic imagery. Yeah. Um, I want to go to the site where Guadalupe was found since she is an icon, a feminine icon, right. as a Mexican-American kind of um, identity or visual imagery that represents um, the female power, the mother. And then I want to go and document some of my own family's stories. Um, my grandmother, she had 14 children. <laughs> my, I did too, 15. Yeah. Wow. it's <laughs> amazing. And uh, my dad was the oldest, and I'm actually the, I, the only person in my family that's mixed, and I'm the only person in my family that doesn't speak Spanish. So when my dad was deported, um, I kind of lost my Spanish over the years. I was fluent as a small child. And I've never been able to like fully connect with um, like my sister or my stepmother or my grandmother, my aunts, to know their character and identity. And I'm very curious about the stories because I've never heard them. Right. So I wanted to make a real effort to hear from the women in my family what their experience was. So. The women in your family, in particular, the, the women that are right close to you, your mother, and are they here in the States? My mom is, yep. yeah. My mom is in South Dakota. Are your siblings around as well? Uh, only child. My father gotcha. was remarried, and he has uh, two children, so I have a half, have some half brother and sister. <laughs> no sweat. Um, but they both speak Spanish, yep. and I speak English so that's kind of a barrier. Do you know your father's story about the first time he made it here? Yes. <laughs> he was a teenager and he did it the traditional way of like he crossed the Rio. Oh, um, so like the term wetback which is a derogatory term this is literally my father's story. Yeah. Um, I think he paid someone to help him cross. Uh, he originally lived in Chicago and worked as a cook and he taught himself English and then he moved out into rural Iowa to yeah, do he, okay. <laughs> immigrant farm work gotcha, to work okay. under the table um, so that he could remain in the United States. And then he kept getting 
deported four times, you said, mm -hmm. and kept coming back. Mm -hmm. You and his wife were here. Mm -hmm. And it was 12 years. So how old were you the last time before he came back? Uh, the last time that I saw that 12 him, year gap, yeah. The 12 year gap, I was 11 years old. You didn't get to see him again until you're in your 20s. Yeah, until I was, I took out student loans to travel to see him. Holy crap. On a summer break. Yeah, that's a real story, and that's uh, a harrowing story. Yeah. And it's, you're not the only one that has them, so I think it's going to be great to see what you can come up with and, and put together. So you yeah. mentioned you're thinking maybe you will not be around in Kansas City. What, where would you like to be? What do you think is going to foster um, all those awesome ideas you've got kicking around? I don't know. Uh, I might stay here. I might not. I know that I, I want to do this trip and kind of explore identity yeah. and their artists in the city that I want to work with on the project. Um, so I, my main mission is to fulfill this project. And then after that, I don't know, I kind of want to go to grad school or I want to move to a larger city with more diversity and kind of more opportunity for me as an interactive artist. Because yeah. there isn't a lot of funding as far as consistent job or commission for like all of the interactive design that I do. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably pretty difficult to get consistency yeah. out of it. So what size city do you need to be in to get that, like a Chicago, LA, New York, that big? Yeah, yeah, definitely. When I think about my aesthetic and the things that I'm interested in, I think LA, as far as like a city and identity meets meets those needs right. and interests. So. Have you ever visited LA? I have. You know, I was not attracted to it at all. I never thought about going there. And then I went there and I loved it. You fell in love. I yeah. loved it so much more than New York or Chicago. I would always think, oh, if I move to a larger city to pursue arts, yeah. you know, maybe I'll go here, maybe I'll go there. But um, yeah, if I had a choice, I would I would go there yeah. over, over the other. I found LA. <laughs> I love the climate, but it just grosses me out every time you come in or come over the mountains and you just see that layer of smog. It's like, oh, Jesus. It's so rough. It is rough. I like you, when you're down in the valley you don't really the weather's so nice there's so much beautiful nature yeah and if you're not driving around you know it's a pretty happy place to be <laughs> yeah but trying to drive around that place is nuts but it's a very supportive community you know um and i would say even if you continue on the literary side of things like the la lit community is blowing up for a long time it was very disparate and there wasn't a lot of connectivity there, but I think now a lot of writers are heading to LA for to try to do their thing there. So man, that's good to know. Yep. I feel like I'm out of touch as far as that community. Yeah, I'm a little bit more submerged into the arts because I I kind of write um, poetry or I write for um, performance and right. Yeah. So how was your experience at the Art Institute? Um, when I was at the Art Institute, I really liked it. I thought it was great. Wait, I didn't. <laughs> I like, I have really mixed feelings. And right now I'm in a uh, period of time where I feel polarized. Like I enjoyed my learning experience at the Art Institute. Um, I had difficulty um, expressing, you know, cultural identity in that uh, in that social setting 
as I've moved on from the Art Institute, I've, I seem to grow in dislike for it. <laughs> <laughs> you look, you, the further away you get, the more you're like, that's uh. that's That's probably the student loans speaking, the yeah, massive amount no of debt. Kidding. Like, how could anyone ever charge this much? So as a kid in high school, stuff. when you were making this decision, mm -hmm. and you said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to art school, because this is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. I went, so when I went to college, I had no clue. Like, it's like I'm, I got to go to college. So I got to do something. Mm -hmm. I never thought about long term. Like, what was my job going to be? What was I going to do with these loans once I got them? Mm -hmm. What was I even going to study? Any of that. And I just kind of winged it. Did you have a pretty clear sense, like, hey, I, this is going to be what I'm going to be as a person. Like, I'm going to go to art school, and I'm going to pursue whatever trajectory I get out of this. Like, it's, you know, I assume you were a creative kid growing up. I was. Um but I had no trajectory at all. I'm, I work intuitively, so it means I just don't really understand destination. And um, I had no idea. I knew that the practice and the process was best for me conveying my understanding of the world, but I, I didn't foresee job, I didn't foresee like income and financial stability, those weren't like at the top of my priority. And I don't necessarily think that should be in one's consideration when it comes to college and deciding about higher education. Yeah. But I just know like for any schooling now, it doesn't really matter. Art school was traditionally more expensive, but now it's like every school is so crazy expensive. It seems like that has, you have to be somewhat cognizant of, all right, I'm gonna go here for four years. What am I gonna do after this? Yeah. You know, it's. I have kids, little boys entering seventh grade. I'm thinking it's not much longer, and you're going to have to be figuring out, little dude. You know, how are you going to? What's the plan? What are the plans? Yeah, I didn't have much guidance on that either. Yeah, I, like as far as my family, none I of think, your family had gone. No. Yeah, same here. My mother had not gone to college. My father went as far as eighth grade. Right. Um, so there wasn't really. It was just exciting that I was getting yeah. there and everything else was for me to figure out later. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you got a lot out of it. I think so. I mean, outside of, you know, hey, you're doing good stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, I know plenty of people that went to school and they're not, either they just have completely abandoned that part of their life, even after going through art school. They realize I just don't want to do that anymore. It burned them out mm -hmm. on being a creative person. Um, or they're not doing very interesting things. <laughs> yeah. Not to be too, you know, too snarky about it, but really it's like, gosh, you went all this time and you're not, you're not trying to make a difference, I guess. Yeah. You know? I was always kind of a wild spirit, or even as a child, I, uh, I enjoy pushing boundaries and I'm very relentless. So... Where do you think that comes from? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, probably my father. Yeah. My father. This is not a characteristic of my mother. This is totally my dad's um, cultural identity. But uh, yeah, um, I didn't really experience that all the time from other people like in the student body, like having this kind of provocateur yeah. kind of path. And that was something that I knew I would always have, that I would be pushing boundaries. I'd be, you know, learning through trial and error 
and that I was resilient in the sense that I was going to be dedicated to my practice and I was going to make sure that I developed to a place that I could do something with it. Yeah. So. Very interesting. Yeah. Don't shudder too hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're in good company. There are a, a lot of interesting folks that have gone through there, you know, and you take, you take out of it. I think you could probably go to school anywhere, and if you're a badass, you're going to do badass things. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do think it's, it's, it's painful to know. I think as someone who went through that program, that, gosh, I just didn't. They weren't as accommodating or as understanding or letting me do the things that I wanted to do, especially given the money that you pay. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like even if you hadn't gone to school, you know, you seem like you're going to be the kind of person who I'm going to do interesting things in this world. Mm -hmm. So. so what have you been doing? You graduated, uh, what do you think? If you started in 2005, that was uh, 20, 2009, 2010 when you got out? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you've been doing pretty steady work since then. Yeah. I was at Charlotte Street uh, residency right after I got out of school. Sweet. Uh, consistently had shows or spent the entire time building towards uh, installation or performance. Um, I spent this last year on a NEA grant, uh, an NEA R-Town grant with the city of Kansas City and MO in Kansas. So that took up like a year and a half of my time. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's amazing. So talk to me about growing up in South Dakota. Um, it's pretty rural. Yeah. I think. Were you, you know, the the focus of your work now and the research that you're getting ready to do, was that as big a part of who you were back then? Were you very interested in where your family came from growing up in South Dakota? No. Yeah. Not at all. Um, this isn't something that became an interest until like the last couple of years, actually. Interesting. Um, I think I was, you know, traditional kid, like in the 90s, like I wanted to go to the mall. I wanted to like run out the door away from the farm and like get to somewhere where I could socialize and be exposed to like new contemporary things and ideas. Um, so growing up, I didn't necessarily have an immediate like um, interest in any of those things like at the surface of my mind, but I s- have a lot of like fond memories of enjoyment of being kind of out on the land, um, yeah. on the prairie, like having this knowledge of how to garden and farm and can things, um, spending time with my grandmother. It's all embedded very much into um, my creative identity, how I process Do you practice any of that stuff now, gardening? Cool. Do you have space where you can grow plants and? Uh, I do, and I worked for the Department of Conservation for like a year. And this last project that I was on, I I worked a lot on um, envisioning how we can change green infrastructure by incorporating indigenous knowledge and scientific knowledge into a multicultural practice for restoration of land. Yeah. Uh, so that... Uh, was that very well received? No. <laughs> You're shitting me, really? No, not at all. 
I guess I, maybe I'm, I shouldn't be that surprised, but I am. No. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, they were like, just get the fuck out of here with your indigenous knowledge. <laughs> uh, I think it... Uh, it's this thing that happens um, a lot that I notice. It's uh, when you push the boundaries of things that um, keep people comfortable. Uh, I got this kind of backlash of like being ungrateful or you know not not really understanding. I think my perspective or what I was advocating for. Instead, it was like, how dare you? <laughs> how could you? <laughs> how could you interrupt this thing that really isn't working as well as it could? Or how could you, you know, um, uh, make accusations that the things that we're doing or the practices that we have might have problems or yeah. that there might be inconsistencies with uh, the way that we approach design and economic development. Well, I, I, I'd hate to say that's <laughs> probably the way of the world. Yeah. And I don't know how we change that. Like, what do you, how, do you, how do you bring... Uh, and, and imagine your ideas weren't that radical. They were just, just far enough off what they were used to yes. to send off an alarm. How do you change that? How do you change that reaction to presenting something like, this is a good idea, yeah. and this will work, and it's better than what we're doing. Don't be scared. Man, I don't know, because <laughs> I, I think I experienced so much resistance, it shut down like a lot of partnership and collaboration, so it became very difficult. Um, well, then that shuts you down. It makes you reticent to, I'm not going to give you any more good ideas. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, really, if, you, if it's, you know, it's a two-way street, like they're going to shut you down, and then you don't get to put your best effort forth anymore yeah. for them, which blows <laughs> when you've got smart, interesting people that are giving you it is so true because I think the thing that really fell off the deep end um, for me was that uh, I wanted a collaboration and a collaborative relationship. And I, I do nothing but collaborate with other artists and musicians all the time in my work. And not having that support or being in a project where you actually feel like your partner is your antithesis, it just like, ate at me personally. It was like, how much could I even keep attempting to put my voice into this space when the entire time I was just attempting to express like who I am and what my thought process was, I was being accused that that was infringent upon others' practice in space. <laughs> yeah, that's some pretty rough shit to hear at the workplace and yeah. it just, it shuts down communication. Yeah. You know, and I, I do think, again, I'm shocked because that sounds like an interesting idea that one might want to pursue. Were mm -hmm. you, you know, in a, I'd be able to make these kind of changes, but I'm not that surprised given how long I've worked in the world and I see the way good ideas are shut down mm -hmm. because it upsets an existing structure that, like you said, people just get comfortable. Yeah. And they're very hesitant to change. But what I'm interested in is how, how do you present these good changes without that fear? You know, I think that's part of the biggest problem we have in this country right now yeah. is the fear of things changing. Yes. You know, and it's, it's happening regardless in so many different ways, like not just population, but technology. You know, I don't, we're not prepared at all for what's happening with, like, autonomous cars and how that's going to interrupt 
like half of the male workforce because what's the, there's this crazy stat about how many male truck drivers there are they're going to be just out of work and that's the only thing they know how to do yeah and semis are going to drive themselves now and they'll be able to drive all night they want to take breaks so we're not even thinking about that and that's a big fear that hasn't been explored yet but once it happens people are going to flip their shit because the change hasn't been presented to them is now you can do something else mm-hmm. you know and it frees you up like I'm excited about all that stuff and now I may lose my job too but it's exciting because it could potentially free up my time to do other shit if the government figures out a way to accommodate yeah it's the way I understand it is the change is inevitable. It's radical and inevitable to continue growth and the transformation of America. Um, it's difficult to watch people desperately hang on to things out of fear. Yeah, it hurts and people get hurt because of it. Yeah. Um, so have you find, find, have you find, have you found yourself throughout all this, and I'm going to say basically probably since the past few years, in a, in a position where your voice is given over to a lot more political, like, taking stances in terms of where, what, they, what needs to happen in this world. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... Do you feel empowered? Not yet. No. But um, I feel like I'm breaking through a shell. I feel like it's kind of initially shocking, but it's a really natural kind of occurrence for me because so much of my artistic practice kind of was a, like my intellectual ideas, it was a lot of brain work and everything that's happening in the world politically has become a part of um, like my intrapersonal, like the writing and um, kind of spirit of of meeting the convergence of these two places so so are you finding that brain work now transitioning to more like i'm physically out there getting things done and i want to do that maybe you're not there yet yes yeah yeah for sure and um i'm also being grounded yeah. in like my character and my identity and my work is being grounded in a way that it was very experimental and floaty before in my process as like a younger artist. And now these things are really grounding themselves and they are taking shape in form of activism. I think that's <laughs> really, really fantastic to, to hear about, to watch. So I'll be excited to just watch you over the next few years to see how that actually manifests you know yeah it's shocked the hell out of me like I never would have thought of myself as an activist I would have so now I'm like witnessing <laughs> I'm observing my own life but I don't know it's just it, I don't even know how to frame it because I feel like anyone with a a sense of person and a sense of understanding there are other people in this world, I don't know how you cannot be an activist at this time. Yeah. Like to me, the folks that are sitting on sidelines and waiting to see how things shake out or actively work, I guess being an anti-activist, like someone that says this should not be happening, you should not be raising your voice. 
Um, one of those things is lacking. Either you are a damaged person, <laughs> or you have there's something there's something that's not clicking psychologically yeah. for you to think what we're witnessing in this country, um, and really not just this country. I mean, it's happening in other countries too. And there just seems to be. I don't think the people realize what power we have. I don't think so either. You know, we've been told to be quiet for a long, long time. And I think we've forgotten a lot of what our forefathers and foremothers fought for to get us to this point. In particular, I'm thinking about the unions. Like, you know, workers fought <laughs> so we didn't have to work 24-7, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. And I think people have really f forgotten that when you look at this Prop A that's coming out that's, you know, really anti-worker. Yep. And 80, 90% of the people in this country are they work for a living or not. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. You don't know your history. I think you've just forgotten, you know. Um, so we need activists and creative ones, too, that can bring new ways of interpreting what's going on and show it in a new light. Yeah. You know. I think that's part of my activist voice. It's an interpersonal, or it's a part of that. My personal history, my story, or my life, my identity has become a part of that. Well, it's a hell of a story. Yeah, my experience. Like, yeah, you know, a lot of people yeah. don't have that. A lot of people do, but a lot of folks just have, hey, I was born, I was raised, I sat here, and then I'm doing this. Like, they don't have what's a really traumatic yeah. story. You know, it's, uh, so it's something that you should express and find great ways to deal with um, and show people the, the light that can come out of it, too. Because you know, it's a rough story, but it's also like you're here and you're making good things. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, well, there's a lot of potential. I'm excited to see what comes of it. So your fundraiser starts in September. What else do you have coming on in the near future? Um, do you have any shows that you're doing? Any smaller projects that you're kicking out? Yes, everything is just kind of in the works right now, though. Nothing has been designated. Yeah. Um, I'm part of a, another group applying for an NEA Art Town grant. Um, looking forward to doing some other kind of environmental projects that people have asked me to be a part of. I'm also a wild mushroom hunter. Cool. And um, I'm really into micro-remediation. Yeah. So when I was on the NEA West Bottoms Art Town grant, I wanted to do an innovative stormwater solution that incorporated fungi as a way to filter city runoff sure. water. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking for funding for that to kind of envision these ideas or innovative stormwater solutions. Are there, uh, are there models already in existence for how to make that happen? There are I, mean, I know Paul Stamets some. has done a lot of work yes. with doing that, especially in like oil cleanups. Um, yes. But I would love to see like how you're gonna pull that off with that's that's incredible. And it's Yeah. It, mushrooms are the future, man. Like I they agree. can do everything. Everything. I am so excited about mushrooms it, because they are I think they are like the internet. Okay. So we have these creative things that we bring to life and they help us understand a part of reality or how we function. So thinking of like the network system as an ultimate communication, like essentially the fungi is that for the natural world. It's constantly trading nutrients yeah. and information. 
like fungi is the biological version of the internet. Well, yeah, that mycelial um, network is insane. And isn't the largest organism in the United States a mycelial network? I think so. Yeah, I, I think, mean, it's in all the topsoil of the entire planet. Yeah, I think there's a patch of mycelium that runs like some crazy number of acreage yeah. under a forest, either in Colorado or in Oregon, I don't remember which one. But yeah, I think all of that is, that's going to be neat. Yes. That's going to be neat. So who do you yeah. present that to? Well, um, I had mentioned it to Megan Krieger, who runs the Office of Culture and Creative Services. Uh, I was also talking to Sydney Milstein, who's an architectural historian who knew a little bit about um, mushroom farming that happened in the West Bottoms a long time ago. Oh, that's interesting, too. So the 8th Street Tunnel, when it was shut down, the tunnel that ran under the city, yep. um, they started using the tunnel to farm mushrooms. Um, so this would have been after when the highways came through? Mm -hmm. Interesting. And I know it's not used for that anymore, and it hasn't been for a long time. Yeah, but I think it's basically shut down to any access at this point. But Yeah, they really just use it for parties now. They rent like, it out? Yeah, oh, I think that's so. cool. Um, but I've explored a little bit, like, um, possible stormwater solutions for the West Bottoms area and kind of developing that. And then also working with the water department. Um, they're going to have a new development happening out at 63rd over on Swope. Do you yeah. know about that? Yep. yep. And it's going to um, be an educational facility to teach everyone about different kind of forms of water management. And you've got to get in there. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> got to talk to Lisa Teresa. What good like, timing. Oh. Then. Yeah. Yeah, my, my mind is blown because that's something I've been interested in for a long time. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to talk after this recording if there's any okay. other assistance that, yeah. that you need in that area because I think that is phenomenal and something I don't hear too many people talking about around here when it's like mushrooms are going to save the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they have our best interest at heart and we just don't know. <laughs> yeah, like biodegradable packing uh, materials, yep. clothing, you can make leather, um, chairs, and that's just like... Yeah, for people who don't know, just go look up mushrooms eating oil. They can, it's fascinating stuff. So, um, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you before we get out of here. And oh, your zines. Yes. Do you still doing them? Um, kind of. <laughs> I just like do them for myself for fun. <laughs> yeah, well, the, and that's they're awesome. <laughs> Oh, cool. Um, and it's because that aesthetic of these are, I'm going to show them to you. Here's like what it is. Like, I'm going to show you this. I just made it for me, but you can look at it. <laughs> yeah. There's not often, like, they're not, a, it's not a political statement. It's, they're really simply put together, mm -hmm. but they are very engaging. And um, with the turn that you're taking, I think there's a real place for you to to use those as documentation along the way. Like, because you can tell they're, they're personal. This is a way that you're communicating to yourself. Yeah. Um, and to have a, kind of a catalog of zines that you have made for yourself at the end of this journey, like that would be something just talking to this dude across the table would be really interested in seeing like your thought processes throughout this whole process. Yeah. You know, we're gonna see what the end result's gonna be. Yeah. 
but what are the trials and tribulations you're going through as you're trying to kick off your research? And when you're traveling, um, I think zines make great diaries. Yeah. And you would bring to it like a, something fresh that uh, you wouldn't get out of a typical like a memoir or a travel log or anything like that. Yeah. So anyway, it's I really just, interesting that you asked me about my zines. I don't think I've ever talked about my zines like ever. Well, you have a space anyone. talk. A lot of people that listen to this are involved with the zine con here in the city. Oh yeah. Um, so it's there's a you know there's a big culture here across Definitely. the world, but that's something that I think please talk about it. Like what are you a fan of zines in general? Do you ever go out and read them? Nope. I'm like uh, slightly intimidated by zine world. Culture, yeah. Yeah. Um, but a friend of mine, Amos Leaguer, he, I oh, think he Oh, is that Annie's a, boyfriend? Yeah. Right on. Uh, he kind of like op opened my mind a little bit to zines and comic books. And I actually started making them after that, after kind of trying to be a little bit more open and, and see what he was into and interested in. And then I made those zines, and I've never actually put any out before. I, I guess I feel a little bit timid of zine, the zine world, but I, I like enjoy making them so much. Yeah, I think it's a natural process for me, especially the, the folding of the paper is really interesting, as far as well. And the way the that you, yeah, that's the way that you've incorporated your folds into how the narrative unfolds for like I mean the way that the zine is working and your yeah. folds yeah I don't know what to say except keep doing it cool <laughs> for keep sure. doing it keep growing it because it's uh, I think you'll find an audience for them awesome uh, and even if you don't again you're doing them for you but people will be interested yeah in in them I think like that's you know you're getting ready to do some cool shit yeah I just think it's a great way to document cool things yeah <laughs> You know, I would say that to anyone really who who is doing something that is kind of not standard. Like, you know, if my wife were going to go travel for two years and say, make scenes when you're out there. Because you can draw. Mm -hmm. You can write. You know how to build things. And you can do interesting things with all those to put together a magazine that does interesting things. And that engages uh, engages a reader on multiple levels, kind of like comic books do. But I think what a zine brings to it is that physicality that a comic book is often just a book. You'll find some that are designed in a way where there's you know, multiple flaps here and there, or cut out yeah. panels. You'll find that on occasion, but for the majority of they're just books. Whereas a zine, you can do some neat things with the way you present. I just got a million ideas. <laughs> now I'm like, yeah. Um, so you have a very robust website. Yes. Is that where you would prefer people just start to dig in and around there? Definitely. And you can get lost in it. It's great. Yeah. So actually, a lot of my poetry isn't up. I think if you go to the page with the, my writings, it's still... It says coming soon. Coming soon. It is coming soon. Um, <laughs> I'm working on it right now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, almost everything I've done is kind of categorized and worked out in the site. It's pretty extensive. So where can folks reach out to you that are interested in the project you've got going on for Latinas and their stories? So 
they could reach me at my actual email or through the website okay. on my contact page. Perfect. And then is the the funding that you're getting ready to do, is that going to be a GoFundMe and Indiegogo, or are you doing something different from like the crowdfunding kind of thing? It's going to be a GoFundMe. Okay. And then I also have a Patreon site, so anyone who might be interested in donating to the project on a regular basis, like say $10 a month, sure. $20 a month, you can go to Patreon and uh, just set that up there. Perfect. And I will get those links from you and we can put them in the show notes. So that way folks can just go right to it. Awesome. Thank you for your time. I really sure. appreciate it. <laughs> Definitely. That was Carmen Moreno. You can find Carmen online at ccmoreno.com. That's C-C-M-O-R-E-N-O.com. I'd like to thank Carmen for her time. I'd like to thank you, as always, for listening. I'd like to thank Is You Is or Is You Ain't for the music. If you'd like to reach LitKC by email communications, go ahead and send an email communication to litkcpod at gmail.com. I would really like to give a big thanks to vacations, a big thanks to spending long hours on straight roads, going somewhere new and different. I'd like to thank big skies and bleak deserts and empty, empty spaces. (laughs) 